how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Aaron Eli Collette describes himself as a classic nerd. Since the age of 11, he's been going to the comic book store each week when new issues come out. He grew up digesting comics, film, and television. Stepping into the fandom he so adored, the screenwriter started working on Crossing Jordan, but then moved into writing the series Heroes, which was one of the first hero-centric genre shows. In 2017, he got the chance to work on Star Trek Discovery, and now he's the showrunner and writer on Netflix's new multi-genre series, Daybreak. Described as an apocalyptic dramedy, Daybreak is about a high school outcast named Josh, who is searching for his missing girlfriend and post-apocalyptic Glendale. In this interview, the screenwriter discusses mixing genres and paying homage, how Buffy the Vampire Slayer segmenting great episodes, why he doesn't want viewers to be ahead of the narrative, how to hide Easter eggs, why he studies Rick and Morty, the myth of the draft, why showrunners can't isolate themselves, and why he's never content, which makes the writing better. If you enjoy this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website and join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series, Creative Principles, which discusses new films, series, and more. I'm a classic nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I've been going to the comic book store uh, every Wednesday since I was uh, 11 years old. Um, it used to not be on Wednesdays. It used to be on Thursdays um, and Fridays. Um, and and I always I just grew up digesting, you know, all forms of TV, all forms of film. Um, I knew it's just what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> my parents did a great job raising me, but but the TV also did a, a, a helpful job in corrupting my mind um, with with all manner of, of 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 delightful you know genre storytelling that I just fell in love with, and so I I knew I just wanted to be a part of it. Let's kind of dive into that. So you've you've got some credits like uh, Heroes, um, Star Trek, and, and now the new series. Daybreak. Tell me a little bit about what it's kind of been like shifting those genres some. So Heroes is maybe a little more traditional, but it seems like we've got more freedom to really explore things. This new one's classified as an apocalypse dramedy, which is at least three packed into one. How do you kind of see things changing with like genre mixing and that kind of thing? I mean, I've, I guess I've always seen all genre as as one umbrella, like that that I didn't have to put myself into a singular community. Certainly, I've never tried to put myself in a singular community. I mean, there's parts of horror that I love. There's parts of there's parts of sci-fi that I love. Um, 
there's parts of of comic books and uh, and superheroes that I love. And, you know, Daybreak has certainly been the opportunity of taking all the parts of my genre-loving self, put them in a blender, um, power blast it and pour it out, and that is how that show was kind of created, was... Like let's like why do we have to why do we have to build why not build the biggest uh, sandbox that we can build so that all these stories can be contained together, um, you know? And in starting out, um, I was you know I was an assistant for a very long time uh, on multiple shows. I was an assistant on Party of Five and on Crossing Jordan. Uh, definitely shows that I would not categorize as <laughs> as, as genre shows. Um, but I, I got to work with amazing writers, uh, find amazing mentors, and knew like, that long-form storytelling was, was what I loved doing. Um, I loved the arcing characters. I loved how every episode can give you something different and a different exp- emotional experience. Um, and then I finally got my first writing job on Crossing Jordan uh, with Tim Kring, and I was kind of the nerd in the office who did go to the comic book store every Every, every week, and he was like, hey, come talk to me about this idea um, that he had about creating a superhero show. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, and this was before the Marvel, you know, this was just before the Marvel Universe hit. Lost uh, was just on the air. And, and I think Lost did, a, you know, did an amazing thing of, of turning normal people into, into, into genre fans without them even knowing it. And so when, he, when Heroes came along, um, everybody was kind of ripe for, oh, I, it's okay to like, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay to like superhero stories. Um, it's okay to be nerdy, um, and it's and it's a wonderful thing to be to be that kind of nerdy. Um, and so you know, once once heroes hit, everything kind of I feel like everything started changing in the landscape because Iron Man came out soon after. Um, Dark Knight as well, and and the whole landscape started changing, and it was like this wonderful renaissance of like everything that I loved growing up uh, was becoming mainstream and cool. So there was all these opportunities to work on on new great shows uh, that that I don't think existed in the landscape before. How do you feel about, like, so it used to kind of be that as long as you stick to a, a few rules about the genre, you can kind of explore what you want to with characters. Do you feel like you're still having to kind of create certain rules as you kind of mix these genres together? Yeah, I think it's really important to, to establish the rules of the world and the rules of the universe. Um, I'm a big stickler for, like, well, these are the rules. Um, and but But I'm also a big stickler for, like, well, we need to bend the rules a little bit to make them uh, unique and interesting. It's not about reinventing the wheel. It's about turning the wheel or the knob like a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right to create something, just a unique perspective on it. Um, so the rules of our, of our world are actually fairly strict, um, especially for Daybreak. However, uh, there's two things going into it. One is... Um, just because it's not a typical zombie show doesn't mean we, we can't have fun with the tropes of what we expect. You know, so one of the things that we're, we're doing in the show is really playing around with, we have accepted rules of zombie lore. And why are those the rules? Why do we have to make those the only rules that we are capable of, of having when zombies 
mutants. There's so much great uh, um, uh, fodder for what we can do with them, and we want to explore what's possible. Um, but in exploring what's possible, it means like you're bending the rules in slightly different ways. Um, the other thing, the other part of that is uh, that one of is one of the tenets of the show is is that all of our characters are the kind of stars of their own movies. And I believe we all believe we're the heroes of our own stories and we're the stars of our own movies. And I believe everybody is in a very different movie <laughs> that, you know, while one character's movie might be Ferris Bueller's Day Off or a John Hughes type of movie, um, someone else is in Seven Samurai and is in a Kurosawa film. And that's the, that speaks to the individuality of, of, of all of us. Like we all believe, we all have different tastes, but we can all come together and, and, and still be, and still exist in the same universe, even if we have different tastes. Uh, so this was an opportunity of like, of, of, of being able to explore characters who are in their unique narratives because I love Samurai Jack and I love Conan the Barbarian and I love that epic style of storytelling, and I don't want to not be able to do it just because my show um, is, is perceived as one thing. I want to be able to create a sandbox where I can tell all kinds of stories that still feel like they fit in the universe. How do you kind of start to, to mix those aspects of um, different movies together? Like, so, for example, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show The Affair, but I went in not knowing that you see the same story from two different perspectives. And it felt kind of like the future of like the future of writing TV and that kind of thing. How do you kind of start to mix those together or how do you set up a situation where the audience can expect to, you know, see different things from you in the same series? Um, we do it very carefully, but I think that you're, I, a, I think that talking about the affair is, is, is absolutely correct. Um, because I think that one of the things that we've that, that that show does that we have certainly taken in a very different fashion is is just talking about character. Like that's the key that's really important to me in this series. It's the key that's important to me in all, in all of writing. Is like is it's it's not about generating plot. It's about generating characters, and it's about character, and it's about what that character is going to do next, and who that character is. And so when you get to, to really have specific characters with well-defined arcs and well-defined desires um, and getting into the inner life of that character, that's when you can, when, when we saw the ability of, of being able to change up narrative structure and be able to change up narrative, narrative drive and tone and approach. Because if we're being true to that character and who that person is, we can tell their story in a unique style from episode to episode. Um, without without giving the audience major whiplash of like, wait, what the fuck are you doing now? <laughs> um, and with because there's consistency, there's serialized consistency of tone throughout the series. But when you get into the, each character, they're going to tell their story a little bit differently. And and I think that Netflix was game for that. And it's just something that I've always kind of thought about doing that this this was a show that gave, gave us the opportunity to do that because I think it's so fun to explore how different we are. And, 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 and when you do a deep dive into that person, everybody's really, really different. Um, and so this was just a way of extrapolating in an outward fashion who their, what their inner life was like. 
Can you give us maybe a little bit of an example, like from the show, like either from the character of Colin Ford or Matthew Broderick or, or a side character you like that maybe kind of how that, how you presented that? Absolutely. Well, and, and I'll, and I, and I can give a really good example is also, you know, just kind of how the handoff was done, you know, so it starts with Colin Ford. It starts with Josh, who is very Ferris Bueller. Um, he's definitely in the John Hughes movie. He breaks the fourth wall. He talks about who, you know, he, he, he interacts really directly with the audience. Um, and, and zips in and out of scenes, and he's very playful with it. And, and, and that's definitely Josh. You know, Josh is, is, is in a rom-com. Um, and then we get to this, this character of Angelica, who's played by Olivia Allen Lind, who's a, you know, this 12-year-old pyromaniac who, who, who might be a sociopath, has no filter, uh, likes exploding things, and and what something something bad happens to Josh, and Angelica looks at the camera and she's like, "Okay, I'm taking over now." And to ease the audience into the takeover, she says, "I know you expected, I know you expected Josh to maybe narrate the whole season, but he's not going to do that." And I'm taking over now. And she's like, "And by the way, I hate breaking the fourth wall. I think that's bullshit. I'm not doing it." The, my favorite movies are Goodfellas and Apocalypse Now, so we're cutting to my voiceover. And then her voiceover takes us through the rest of her story, and it's done in a much more Scorsese style, in a much more reverence to, to how we have been, um, how, we've, how we've heard voiceover before. And it makes for a nice seamless transition because we tell the audience exactly what we're doing. We're, we are really upfront about, like, nope, we're switching now. And once the audience gets clued into the language of, of how we're doing things, we don't have to do handoffs like that every single episode because we've done it once. So we're teaching the audience, like, this is the language of the show, and, and we're welcoming you to it. Um, but now get used to it because it's going to change. Um, and, and I just feel like we are in this place with the audience. Like, everybody is so genre literate. Um, we're, we're all very aware of the tropes that we're using and how we tell stories. And I wanted to make something that was, that was able to talk to the audience of like, we're all speaking the same language, so let's really talk about it. Let's talk about how we tell stories. Let's talk about how, how, <laughs> how we use these conventions. Um, and, and by talking about it, we are, we are self-acknowledging it, and we're acknowledging the audience in it at the same time. So we're hopefully including them in the, in the discussion, which is, which is very exciting for me to be able to do. It felt like maybe that, that wouldn't have been possible maybe a few years ago. Like maybe part of that's because Netflix has this vast, um, you know, they just make a little bit of everything. Uh, for another example, I watched the show Billions, and as I watch it, I'm always thinking some of these references people are not going to get. But I guess, like, as a writer, you're just assuming, well, this is for the people who do get it, like to the really, you know, into cinema type fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, some people will get some references. Some people will not get some references. Um, I've always just wanted to make a show that 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 entertains everybody. And that everybody can feel smart about getting the references or or get, getting some of the references, um, but it's also the cha- like I like I like issuing a challenge to the audience of if you don't get the reference, 
go find it. It's awesome. Like everything that we're referencing is really awesome, um, and and the homage that we're doing is is really amazing. And it's a it's kind of a feeling that I felt when when Tarantino would do homage and reference to stuff, and I was like, well, what's he referencing? Oh, I want to go see it. I want to do a deeper dive onto what influenced him to make to make those things. And when and even and it's it's stuff that I've done. You know, it's kind of that that you're allowed to do now in a way. That that you don't have to go to film school because it's so easy to access everything. It's like, well, what influenced Kubrick? What influenced these people? And because we're all just stealing from each other, we're all influenced by the thing that came before us. And it's we're just trying to per, put it through a different lens and and make it unique in a new way. But it's all like no one's created anything necessarily terribly original. We're all just kind of. We're all just influenced by each other, and and I think it's important to to acknowledge what we're influenced by, pay homage to it, show it through a new lens, and if people don't get the reference, that's totally cool. Um, I'm really happy to go <laughs> online and to, and extol the virtues of Escape from New York to an audience and talk about how awesome Escape from New York is, or talk about how awesome Maximum Overdrive was. Um, and and why it influenced me, or why I, why it's a really cool idea, and and how it made its way into into a reference in this show. Um, but I think that you know, like whether you get it or not, it's it. There's still meaning in the narrative. What would you say? So this is uh, ten episodes coming out. Some of it's based on the graphic novel, obviously. I assume the main points. There's a lot of movie references, different personalities. What's kind of the formula behind this show? Like, how did you pitch it? What did it become since that pitch as well? It's actually maintained pretty close to the pitch, um, which is always a good, <laughs> which is always a good thing, um, because um, you what you really want. In, in any in any creative endeavor is that you're all making the same show. It's just it's it's like it's so critical um, that the studio, the network, all your creative partners, uh, actors, department heads, that you're all rowing in the same direction. Because if every if if somebody thinks you're making something different, um, when they start seeing pro like that's when things start to fall apart or get schizophrenic, is when you're not when you don't have a cohesive um, uh, roadmap. And the, the plan always from the get-go was, you know, based on the graphic novel, was here's this character who looked at the universe in the post-apocalypse and said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And that was, that was to me like the most, <laughs> the, the, that was the freshest thing and the most relatable thing about the series was we've seen so, so very many uh, zombie apocalypses dystopias that are places that you just do not want to be in. They, they seem very smelly and it plays on the horror element and it plays on the, and, and we, and like, I love the walking dead. Uh, it is like, it is so fucking good. Um, but it is really, you know, it, it does it, it does a perfect job of, of doing the horror element of it. Um, and the, the, this is what the world can become. Um, and so this was an opportunity to do something different in the same, in the same genre, in the same, in the same setting. Um, but it's how I felt in high school. I hated high school. 
high school was the both the singular best time of my life and the worst time of my life. It's it's really hard to be a teenager. Um, and I found myself, you know, certainly wanting the world to end so I could reinvent myself. And I don't think that's a that's that's a unique thought of man, it would just be great to start over and reinvent myself and I could be somebody else. And there was there was a there was a film that was a touchstone for me because it was on HBO almost every single afternoon when I came home from school, which was a movie called Night of the Comet, um, which was it was kind of like in this post Haley's Comet 1984 uh, universe where a comet passed by Earth and it basically killed almost everybody, but a lot of the teenagers survived. And they turn the world into their playground. And it just is filled with wish fulfillment because, you know, it's the what would kids do if if there was no adults? And, I, you know, I don't think it turns into Lord of the Flies all the time. I think there's great wish fulfillment and great possibility of what they would do. And taking that as the starting point of we want to do something, uh, a, a fun apocalypse a, uh, something based on wish fulfillment and something based on something uh, truly optimistic of, yeah, the kids are going to make a lot of dumb choices, but they're going to put the world together in the way that they want to do it, um, was was something that everybody wanted to make. Um, and when they saw that the, the theme behind it, which is surviving, surviving high school is like surviving the apocalypse. Um, and that what it takes to survive high school is is your close group of friends. Um, they really key, everybody really keyed in on that as the theme, and that was a great launching point. And when we ta- started talking about the tribe of friends coming together, this community coming together, it really became about the characters and how who are we populating this world with, and knowing that we're doing this handoff and breaking the rules of. Of, of some of zombie fiction and and really getting into other people's point of view that people start becoming really excited about the possibilities of the series. Um, so that was that was our pitch to Netflix, uh, and that's what we that was what we we were able to deliver on. Um, and once we got the writers group together, uh, extrapolating like, okay, well, how are we going to play this out? There is definitely still narr- there's there's lots of good narrative. There's lots of plot that's propulsive through the season, but a lot of what we initially talked about was just character, and 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 who and how these characters go through the season. The choices that they make are based on based on who they are, not by some plot inconvenience. What are some other aspects that might have changed? So, you know, someone listening today hasn't seen the show, but after it comes out, they may see it all the following day. How are you kind of writing? Are you writing this as a, you know, 10-episode long movie? How do you kind of change things when you're writing for Netflix versus for TV besides commercial breaks and that kind of thing? Um, That's a great question Um, because actually the – you know, I've been doing television for what what feels like a, quite a long time, and I've certainly been a, a fan and watching television for a long time. And I love Netflix. I love the streaming model. Um, but it does feel like things have become 10- or 13-hour movies, and you start to forget what happened in what episode. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that was great. But it was like it, this was a long movie. And, and what I miss – from and maybe it's me being old, but 
what what I'm missing even even in the conversations that happen after a show launches is is loving a singular episode. And because I love that about everything that I watched, um, you know, whether it's growing up or even on a show, it's like you have the, the thing that, that, that is wonderful about television is you do have these segmented episodes that you're able to make your own mini movies inside the larger movie. And I've always said, you know, look, the, the, the show that got me, that made me want to be a television writer was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, it did it because of a number of reasons. One was um, was um, was the fact that it was a show that so deftly did tone perfectly. It was able to be a coming of age story at the same time as it was genre. At the same time as it was a monster of the week that you didn't know it was going to come next, and so you could laugh and you could cry and you could be scared all in the same hour. And I've always wanted to be able to paint with all those colors of the palette. Like, why not be able to try to do everything in an hour um, just be, you know, and not just be one singular thing? The other thing that, that it did really well was episode to episode, it kind of was able to reinvent itself a little bit. And it was the first, as a student of, of television, it was one of the very first um, – uh, TV shows where I started actually following, the, <laughs> I was able to follow like who wrote what episode, and I really became like, oh yeah, that's a that's definitely a Joss Whedon episode, and oh that's a Jane Espenson episode, that's got to be a Jane Espenson episode, and oh and and that's a Marty Knox episode, um, and and you know and oh that's a David Fury episode, and you could tell the individual writers were able to contribute their voices to the to the overall tone of the show. And I missed that in this streaming model. I missed the ability to be like, oh, I love the episode where. I miss being able to talk about Hush. Um, and and I wanted to be able to, to create a show on Netflix that had a bingeable appetite, that had all the serial ele- serialized elements that make Netflix great, but be able to really drill down onto what I was missing, which is, which is being able to have a favorite episode, being able to say like, oh, I loved that one, um, and I really wanted to be able to recreate that. And by being able to drill down into a singular character for an episode and really give that episode its own unique personality, um, that I, I think we were able to accomplish both creating a serialized narrative to make it feel like a bingeable experience, which was important to me, um, but also be able to create okay. unique identity. So that was, it was really important to be like, let's, rec- we need to create individual identity episode to episode um, so that people can key into characters. They can key into the ep- how much work goes into a singular episode. Um, and you get an experience, uh, and, and that you can never know what's going on from episode to episode, I think my favorite my favorite content is always like when I when I'm not ahead of the narrative, when I don't know what the what the what the writers and the directors are going to do next. That's when I feel that's when I that's when I get really devoted to shows. Um, when I get ahead of the storytelling is when I feel like I, I can I can check out. Well, you've already mentioned like a, a crazy amount of you know balancing act, tightrope type things you're already thinking about. 
what are you also thinking about or what conversations come up for rewatchability after all that? Are you hiding Easter eggs and those kind of things as we kind of expect now, thanks to Marvel and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons of Easter eggs. <laughs> there's, there's, whether it's references, whether it's laying in things, um, you know, you do want to create something that's, that's, that's watchable and an enjoyable experience the first time through and then rewatchable again. Uh, whether you're watching for whether you're watching for the for the Easter eggs, or for even just the enjoying of the experience of it, I mean, there's certain Rick and Morty episodes that I will watch again and again and again, just because I, you know, I'm like, I'm either studying it like how do they do that so well, or it's just an enjoyable experience, and I think that that we wanted to do both of those at the same time. That certainly a lot of of dramas. That I that I watch on 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 Netflix or even today, like, oh, I don't want, necessarily want to go back and watch them. And if we're able to create something that's a little bit more propulsive or a little bit more, you know, humorous in tone, that is, you, you're able to really pick point, pinpoint. Oh, you don't have to watch all ten episodes again. Maybe you just want to go back and watch a single episode again. Um, and we have the ability to, you know, you do have the ability to do that on the service. And I want to, like people to be able, like if they want to do that, that's great. If you want to go back and watch the whole thing again, fantastic. There are so many little secrets. There's so many little. Uh, there's so many fun references that games to be able to pick out. Uh, there's so many fun details to find. Um, uh, that that it's a, that I like is showing the game and the challenge to the audience of like like pl play with me like I'm putting this out here for us to all play with together let's let's go for it. How do you kind of balance your your writing schedule? You're working on Daybreak. I see you're also working on a show called Lock and Key. You've worked on Star Trek not long ago. How do you kind of shift between these different points of focus and also keep up with all the other content that's coming out? It's a challenge. <laughs> Um, you know, I would say showrunning has certainly been the singular biggest challenge of my of my career in terms of how to balance a writing schedule, how to balance production, how to balance post, um, how to keep on watching because you also you can't isolate yourself in in the bubble of your show. You have to watch what everybody else is doing, um, not only to you know make sure like oh you're not aping them, but also to be inspired by them. Like it's a, like watching Chernobyl in succession you know, in the past like couple months has been amazing. It's like, you just get so jealous and so, and so appreciative of, of, of the work that they're doing. It's awesome. And, and you need that fuel to be like, they're doing great work. It just pushes me forward to also do, be inspired and to do great work. You know, you, you just, as far as how you balance it, you just try um, whether it's late, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly a late night and early morning writer. Um, I, I, I insist that our writer's room end at between six and six thirty, um, because I don't think, I think we all need to live our lives and I like to go home and have dinner with my family and attempt <laughs> to have a normal life. Um, but then when, when everybody's asleep, um, I'll go down and, and, and write for a couple hours and write till, you know, one, one thirty-two. Um, go to bed, wake up, write a little bit more in the morning, um, as a routine 
just, you know, because I think that that's when my mind is freshest. And then the middle of the day can be spent on production issues, editing, post issues, um, reading other drafts, giving notes, doing all the other work that needs to get done um, can be done in that time period. And, you know, I think that, that you know, you never want to be, like, beholden to a deadline. You want to make the script as good as it can be um, before you run out of time. But I think the thing that's really been wonderful in this experience in particular was, was you know, and is really unique to, to our writing staff, is everybody writes on every episode. This is a really tight community of writers that we're all contributing. And if we're all contributing to every episode, we can generate scripts very quickly. And then it's about an iterative process. For me, the writing process just never, ever ends. It is wholly iterative of, okay, well, let's keep on writing. Let's keep on writing it. Uh, let's try something else. Okay, this isn't working. Let's make an adjustment here. Um, and then it goes into production. And then you keep on writing. <laughs> and, then it, and then you're shooting it, and you're still writing it, and you're still doing rewrites on set of, well, can we make this joke punchier? Or this isn't, oh, this is now not working. We need to make an adjustment. And then you're still rewriting in post. Um, you know, I think that 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 one of the the lessons that I've learned over the over the past you know decades of working is is that there's a myth of you finish your draft and then you can be done, uh, and then and and that feeling of I finished it's going into production and I get to be and I and I'm done with it. Um, that for me is was was something that I needed to dispel of. Of I'm going to keep on working on it until until it's basically taken away from me. I'm going to keep on working on it. I'm going to keep on trying to make it better. And instead of 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 looking at write, rewriting in post or or what you can do with ADR, it's like these are wonderful tools that we always have to make things better, to make the story cleaner, clearer, to make it funnier, to make it land emotionally better. Like we have all these wonderful writers' tools. We have an arsenal of weapons. And like it's just about you just have to keep on using them until until basically they take it away from you, um, and, or you're or you're finally content with it. And I'm never content with it. I always want to keep on working on it because it can always be better. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.